My name is James. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'd like to thank Michael. Where'd he go? I don't, I don't see him anymore. Over there. Uh, making a, an escape um, for asking me to, to share. Michael's my sponsor. My home group is Light a Candle, and um, I love Overeaters Anonymous, and I love the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, if you knew, what was primary on my mind was when I was new was like, what is compulsive overeating? There was some confusion there for me. Because what I saw was a a group of unrelated illnesses like bulimia, anorexia, compulsive overeating, uh, sugar addiction. They seemed to be totally unrelated to me. People related to different things. Um, And it was a little bit confusing. And so the book talks about a malady and an abnormal reaction. And... My, you know, my experience is a little different. My experience is more along the lines of a superpower. And uh, I'm going to explain that to you, obviously. Um, I have this thing where I can be at a meeting, and I'll be standing alone, and I'll see other people on the other side of the room, maybe two girls, and they're laughing. And I don't know how I know, but I just know that they are talking about me and that they're <laughs> saying bad things about me. Um, that's called telepathy. I am exceedingly bad at it, but it's, it's, I do practice occasionally. Um, I find that I, I have the ability to leap huge truths about myself in a single bound, and that I can, I have the I have the superpower that I can, I am I can become resentful at everything at and anything, including and not limited to uh, inanimate objects, abstract concepts, and uh, pets. I actually, I actually had a, uh, I had a girlfriend in college. She had a dog that would, uh, whenever I went to the house, it knew how sketchy I was, and so it would bark endlessly, and it really like put a strain on the relationship. And I, I hated that thing because it just, it just knew, it knew how what a liar and a cheat and a thief I was, and uh, it just like it drove me crazy. Anyway, so you know. And the last thing I have is this: uh, is what is the real big superpower, which is that unlike everybody else in the world, when I eat food, I experience ease and comfort. It resolves all the emotional conflicts in my life. For a brief period of time, a fleeting moment, I don't have any problems. And it really is a superpower. Normal people don't have it. Normal people don't experience a spiritual experience every time they eat waffles. You know what I mean? It's just not what happens. Um, and I'm sure there are a lot of people in a lot of like war-torn countries in the world who would kill for that. That you know, just to have a momentary release from some of their problems. And I have that. You know. And the problem for me is, um, I noticed that when I was really young, that all the other kids around me seemed to be growing up, and that I wasn't doing that. And I didn't understand why. And that was consistent until I was in my 20s. Um, I just didn't understand why I, I was having these dreams where I was like a super, super, super senior in high school when I was like, I graduated college. Like, I, it made no sense to me. Um, and, but in retrospect, what I understand now, having heard a couple of very, very intelligent people talk about this malady, is that... Resolving emotional conflicts and learning to do that is what how normal people grow up into being adults. And uh, I found because I have this substance, food, that resolves emotional conflicts for me, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that at all. And so I never needed to grow up into being an adult. 
And I didn't understand any of that before I came in here. Um, and the result of that was that I was a grown-ass man who was still throwing temper tantrums. That's, that's, what, that's what it looked like. It wasn't like sexy or pretty. This is definitely the least sexy program. Um, the, the, the boozers have like Hemingway, which is like the tragic, uh, tragic, you know, genius, and then and then the uh, the dopers have uh, have um, Kurt Cobain, who's again the tragic genius, and then the gamblers have like high stakes and uh, loan sharks, and, and the, you know the sex programs, obvious, uh, you know, and you know. I got beat by a waffle, you know. Uh, it's just not, it's not sexy. So welcome to Over Years Anonymous if you're new. Uh, I love it. I love it here. It's the best. Um, so for me, what it looked like, you know, from the abnormal reaction to food, which I discovered before I even remember, um, came an abnormal relationship. So... What that looked like at first was that I would eat too much and I gained a lot of weight. And then I started adding things to the mix. I started starving myself for long periods of time, develop anorexia. Then I figured out that if you throw up, you don't have to like uh, deal with that problem. You know what I mean? Like I, and then that solved the problem. So I developed bulimia, and then exercise bulimia, mixed in some extreme running, some long distance running, and uh, really took that to the next level. And I would go up and down and up and down in weight, and I had no idea what was wrong with me. I had this loose skin around my waist from how many times I had gone up and down. And... Um, Really, I had no clue what was wrong with me. And I lived in such a way for the first maybe 24 years of my life where I really could not tell one problem from the other. And in my experience, all of these other problems, I, I really, I, there's like sugar addiction, bulimia, anorexia, all that stuff, body dysmorphia. I relate to all of it. I have all of it. I'm sort of lucky that way because it's easier for me to relate in this program. Um, because anybody, anytime somebody talks, I really, I just like, I, I identify. Like, that's definitely my issue. Um, where I was going with that. Anyway, so I, uh, when I was about 24 years old, something happened, which is that uh, I got sober. And um, it was a really jarring experience because I had tried to get sober for a really long time and I had a really difficult pro- I had a problem with it. I had a really difficult time getting sober and uh, I really struggled for years. And um, it was this incredibly jarring experience where, like, it, it just... It was pretty. It was pretty gnarly. And um, what happened was, I fell in with a group, and they knew exactly what to do with a guy like me. And I have this this thing. I don't know if you guys relate to this. I'm different, and I am special, and my taste is not like yours. And I don't need to do what you need to do in order to recover in any way, shape, or form. That is that. I acknowledge today that that is inside of me. It will always be inside of me, and. It is so powerful that I will follow it into the gates of insanity and death. I'm the type of food, like the, I'm, I'm the type of compulsive overeater that I will be eating myself to death, saying food's not the problem. <laughs> food's not the problem, and I baffle people around me. Even the alcoholics are baffled. They just like, just stop, dude. Just like, <laughs> knock it off. Like, eat a limited amount. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just like. 
how do you know if you're not figured that out yet? <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, so I have this problem that I am different, and my, my, my sponsor knew exactly what to do with a guy like me. And what he did, he said, James, this is all one big disease. Just focus on alcohol and set all those other problems aside for a little bit. And just focus on alcohol. And that turned out to be the key that unlocked sobriety for me. Um, and I worked the 12 steps and I had this incredible experience I, I, where I, I changed into an entirely different human being. My family didn't recognize me. You know, it was just, it was, it was really a, a big deal for me. But something unusual happened when I did that, which is that um, I quit being bulimic. At some point, I don't remember when it was, I, I just like... I worked the steps and I stopped being bulimic. And it's actually a little difficult. Some people ask me, like, how do you how do you stop throwing up? I have no idea. I just worked the 12 steps and one day I realized it was gone. And uh, I would share about this in meetings because I was just sharing about the spiritual experience that we're supposed to share about here. And um, I, I did that a few times in my home group and my sponsor went, uh, one uh, night, on a Tuesday, uh, took me aside and he said, James, that's not alcoholism. I don't know what that is, but it's not alcoholism. Um, and we'd like you to stop talking about it because you're making people uncomfortable. You're talking about putting your fingers down your throat and no one wants to hold your hand during the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> so, it's, it's on my radar that maybe there was something else going on. And um, so what happened is that uh, I started to become aware of this yo-yo dieting. Right? And some of the extremes that I was going to with food that other people were not going to. And my problem got much worse when I got sober. And I had a series of conversations that brought me into the rooms. The first conversation was with this total stranger. We were in a 12-step meeting and we were talking. He just brought up Overeaters Anonymous. And I was listening to him and was like, yeah, I do a lot of that stuff. I occasionally throw up. I haven't done it in a while, but I don't do it. You know, I have done it in the past. I, I occasionally starve myself. I occasionally exercise excessively to the point where it's detrimental to my body. I, uh, you know, um, I do all all that stuff that you talked about. And he looked at me and he says, "You should definitely check out a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous." And uh, I was like, "Nah, but you tell everybody that. You, you're one of these people. You're like, uh, what do you like a, a preacher that goes around telling everybody that they should do it, right? And every, because you just want big numbers or something like that. And um, but it was on my mind because I definitely knew there was something going on. And then I had another conversation. And uh, this conversation was two people. One of them named Jason. And one of them is named, uh, actually, I call him Boo Boo. And, uh, uh, and the other one was a guy named Bama, Alabama. You get a thick southern accent, he's from Alabama. And uh, we were talking about this. And we were talking about food. And Jason and I were standing by each other. And uh, we were talking about how we had a problem limiting how much we ate. And he was talking about how certain people don't eat bread and sugar in, in Overeaters Anonymous. And I was like, that was like, whoa, wait a second. Like, those two, those two substances are very specific. Those are very specific. And those are, I have always known that there's something special about bread and sugar. And, uh, you know, like he said, it's a common absence. And I had gone back and forth trying to cut that out for years um, and been totally unable to. And so uh, Bama at that time 
you know, all three of these guys were alcoholics exactly as I was. I knew they were. I knew their stories intimately. I knew secrets that their family didn't know about them. And he said, I have figured out, Bama said this, that I have figured out how to stop overeating. You see this? And he held up his fist. And he said, this is the size of your stomach. Don't eat more than this. And my friend Boo Boo said, you see this? This is the size of your stomach. Don't drink more than this. <laughs> and all three of these people are alcoholics. And like Bama said, no, that's not how it is. It's not the same. But it was the same for me. It was exactly the same for me. And what I figured out is that although compulsive overeating and alcoholism can mix and they can play off of each other, they are entirely separate problems. I sponsor a bunch of guys today who drink alcohol. And that was a jarring experience for me because I was sitting in Overeaters Anonymous and someone was talking about how they don't eat while they smoke pot. And I was like, you can't talk about smoking pot in a 12-step meeting, but this is not AA. This is not AA. Um, and these problems are not the same. And I became aware of the fact that I had, I had an issue other than alcoholism. And so I checked out a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. The day that I decided I was going to check out a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous, I um, I looked up online how much it would take, uh, how much money it was to get liposuction, and then I went to a, a a personal trainer, and he took a body fat percentage, an accurate body fat percentage, and he said you have a roughly a seven percent body fat, which is consistent with someone who's extremely lean and who should not lose any more weight, and. That was a problem. Those two things can't exist in the same reality. I can't be so obese I need liposuction and also be 7% body fat. They just, those two things, they don't match. One of them is wrong. Um, and I could, you know, when I looked in the mirror, I genuinely saw somebody who was obese, who was totally disgustingly overweight. Um, and that, you know, it was very confusing to me. So I could tell that there, there's some big issue here. That was, It wasn't a small thing. So I checked out a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. And, you know, I met this guy named Aaron, and he was uh, the 12-step champion at that time. And, uh, you know, he, he was very enthusiastic, which attracted me. And, you know, I started to work the steps. And um, I had another really big experience. I, I switched over to Michael as my sponsor. It's been three years now we've been working together. And, um, you know, I have just had another wild experience with the 12 steps. And for me, I believe that I recovered because I identify with compulsive overeating. That's the truth. I believe it's because I identify as a compulsive overeater because for me, I have this thing inside of me. I'm different. I'm different than you. If I'm not a compulsive overeater exactly the way that you are a compulsive overeater, then you don't know me and you wouldn't say that if you knew everything about me. And so I don't need to do what you need, to, what you suggest. So, um, for me, I believe I recovered because I identified with an, and I listened with my, my heart, not my head. Um, so, you know, uh, 12 step recovery has been up and down. There's been like good, uh, or abstinence has been, has been good and bad. Um, it's overall extremely good, but it's very painful because like growing up is very difficult and that's what I'm tasked with doing here. I'm tasked with being an adult from a practical perspective. My first sponsor said, there's no difference between spirituality and practicality. And from a practical standpoint, uh, my job here is to grow up. And like an adult puts another person's problems ahead of their own. I, 
put my own problems ahead of everybody else's because I am self-important. I have a self-obsession that is so profound that it's actually a, uh, a malady that has a sub-10% recovery rate. That's how bad my illness is. Um, and, you know, I, um, I worked at 12 Steps. I had this other great... Is that five minutes? Great. Awesome. I had this I had another great experience with it. And uh, my body dysmorphia went away, not without some difficulty, but my body dysmorphia... Um, it didn't go away from getting rid of fear. I acknowledge that body dysmorphia is the result of fear, but for me, getting rid of, I mean, it's not realistic for me to get rid of fear. I don't think anybody in the entire world, even like some of those Medal of Honor winners, they all experience fear while they were going through it. It's impressive because they did it anyway. Um, for me, like I didn't get rid of fear. What happened was, is I, I placed another person's problems ahead of my own, and I experienced self-esteem for the first time. And for me, self-esteem is where I got rid of my body dysmorphia. I started to see myself as an adult, and suddenly I, I had respect for myself. And suddenly the way that I looked in the mirror was like, oh, you're a good looking guy. Like, you're charismatic, you're funny, you're like, you know, you're a good person. Um, and, and, you know, the compulsive overeating has gone back and forth. I'm going to finish with a quick story. I, um, the beginning of last year, I, I started a, a relationship with a girl, and it be, was very tumultuous. And I am not. I am not a fighter in relationships. Uh, it was very uncharacteristic of me. And, uh, but it was just very tumultuous. But it was one of those like, super passionate relationships. And I really, really liked that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was exciting, man. <laughs> it was really exciting. Uh, I was always interested. Um, you know, and what happened was, like, my, my sponsor's like, get out of there. Get out of there. It's toxic. Get out of there. And uh, so I moved out. And, uh, but like my head was still back with her. And um, I, against sponsor directions, it got back with her. Um, and it lasted about a month. And at the end of that month, in January of this year, uh, she broke it off with me. And it was the most, like, I experienced a level of pain after that, which I, I had actually never felt before. Right? I had actually, like, the pain that I experienced in, uh, in my illness was nothing compared to the way that I felt now. And I also had no way to really anesthetize it. And what happened was, is, uh, I was like, if, if this goes on for another week, I'm not going to stay abstinent. And uh, it didn't stay for a week. It, it stayed for about seven months, actually. And uh, it was extremely painful. And I was waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, having just had a lucid dream about her having sex with other guys. And it was like, uh, it was consuming to me. And it robbed me of all joy. And I could not understand why I had this problem, why it was not going away. And then Michael made the suggestion a couple of weeks ago that I, uh, that I make amends to her, that I take... Uh, that I take responsibility for my parts. And, and uh, I, I asked her if I could make amends to her, and she said no, which was fine. Because, to be totally honest with you, immediately afterwards, I, I felt whatever it was that was painful inside of me get relieved a little bit. And over time, the dreams have stopped. You know, I don't think about it much anymore. Um, and it's just gone away. And for me, like, accepting personal responsibility, you know, it's a difficult thing to understand for me that when I am bothered I am the problem there are no exceptions to that we always want to find exceptions there's always like something like yeah but this situation really is everybody else but no I am always the problem 
I am always the problem if I am bothered. Which is good news because if I'm, if you're the problem, I can't fix you. There's no amount of energy. No one has ever done it where they've changed reality such that it always operates according to the way that they think it should. No one has ever done that in human history. But that's what would be required if you were the problem. But the good thing is I'm the problem and I can change. And that's exactly what's happened to me through the 12 steps. Through the 12 steps, working with a sponsor, having a home group, having commitments, I've grown into an adult. Someone who has self-respect. And, you know, if you're new, you're going to need all of this. All of the 12 steps, everything that we do here, at some point or another, you're going to need it. We don't do it for arbitrary reasons or because we enjoy meditating. At some point, you are going to need it. It's going to become necessary. And there's going to be a moment in your abstinence when you're experiencing so much pain that it's, it's do or die. And like whether or not you have really involved yourself with newcomers is really whether or not, if you're like me, you're going to stay absent. You know, and there's been a number of instances where it, like it's really come down to it, and my sponsees have saved my butt. So, if you're new, what I would recommend, if you are like me, that you come and you do everything that we do, and you're going to love who you become. Thanks. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing of this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions I shared with you today are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. All right. Any questions? Thank you so much. My two questions. One is, do you still eat waffles? And two is, um, what do you do when you have a problem? Because you talk about it is always my problem. What do you do? What, what yeah. do you do? Great question. So, two-part question. Um, first one is, do I still eat waffles? And the second one is, uh, what do I do when I have a problem? And um, so... Um, I don't eat waffles. I haven't had bread or sugar in like three, four years now. Um, I haven't had any sort of grain whatsoever. Um, I don't even eat the, like the ancient grains or whatever. I just like I'll, I'll binge on that stuff. You know what I mean? Every time it, it feels like bread to me, so that's really you know what I mean. And like I'll eat that stuff, and then I'll uh, I'll I'll move on to the white stuff real quick. You know, because that stuff's not good. Enough. Um, so I don't eat bread or recreational sugar of any kind. I eat largely like a paleo diet. Um, and I do like intermittent fasting all that kind of stuff um, uh, when I have a problem you know usually I want to find my sponsor I've experienced a lot of problems in my life um, especially in abstinence when I don't have anything to anesthetize myself with really and uh, you know I try and run it by my sponsor I have one of these so like I'll, I'll get into one of these emotional conflicts and to be totally honest with you like I'm emotionally illiterate I, because my emotional I believe my emotional landscape was so volatile growing up I go I, it's like a kaleidoscope that I never put names to emotions and so I had to learn that in abstinence and for me I have an emotion like I'm bothered by this I don't know what it is but I'm bothered by it it's obviously pain, it's a painful emotion I don't know which one but it's a painful emotion uh, usually fear and uh, you know I run it by my sponsor and he comes up with a he usually comes up with a good solution for me and um, 
you know, it, it almost always involves one of the 12 steps. And uh, the big one is, anytime I have a problem, I have like a host of guys that call me on a daily basis. And I tell you, when you have 16 hours in the day to fill and not think about her, having like six sponsees is not enough. It really, it's just like, I, I'll, I'll take one every 15 minutes if I could, you know? Because I, I gotta get out of myself. If I'm thinking about myself, man, it's a mess and I hate it, you know? And if I do it long enough, I'm gonna eat bread and sugar again. I'm gonna go bench. Does that answer your question? Great. What did you find was the difference, if any, between working the steps in AA and working the steps in LA? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the question is, what's the difference between working the steps in AA and working the steps in OA? You know, it's really uh, just like, they say the credits don't transfer, but the coursework's largely the same. Um, <laughs> there's some differences. Uh, obviously, I don't, uh, you know, I take it in the original sponsor, but I also, I don't, I don't, in AA, I don't divulge my food. He doesn't care. You know what I mean? <laughs> Why are you telling me that? But, uh, you know? So that's, that's the big one. But, you know, for me, it was just like, it was an enhancement of that. Every time I work the steps, it's just an enhancement of, of where I've done before. And for me, like, really, the, like, the solution is pretty much the same, but the problem it solves is drastically different. And for me, you know, I had to, in AA, I had to identify with alcohol. Not drugs, alcohol. In this program, I had to identify with food. And I knew that. I knew the concept that, like, identifying with alcohol when I came in here was whether or not I identify with food is going to determine whether or not I stay. And so I focused on food. And so that's the problem that got solved as a result of me working the 12 steps. Thanks for your share. <laughs> Superman holds a very dear part of my um, So, uh, how, what's the difference? You described so beautifully how you uh, how how you went to the food for for uh, comfort. Um, did, was it the same with alcohol, or was it different? Like how how did how did you use alcohol in your life as opposed to food? So uh, the question is, how is alcohol different from food, and how I anesthetize? Well, I didn't drink uh, like low amounts of alcohol all day long. Some people do that. I was like a binge drinker. I would drink on weekends and excessively. And, you know, so it was like, uh, it was more of a sprint rather than a marathon. With food, it's like, I will eat a low level of bread and sugar starting first thing in the morning. And any time I have room in my stomach, I will then fill it. And because I think the difference between it is like alcohol, I get seven solid hours of really good release. At, at least seven hours, right? Until I start drinking, from when I start drinking until when I am. With food, it's not like that. With food, almost immediately after I eat, I experience a sense of ease and comfort, but then the shame hits. Like, oh, what did I do? How did I do that again? I said I would never do that again, and I'm just like, I'm embroiled in that, in that thinking. And uh, so it's like, with food, it's, it's, like not, it's not as long that I get relief from it. Um, and so I, I use it low levels all day long, um, among other things. Same with uh, same with other things. Um, thank you very much for the share. Uh, what, was there a spiritual aspect to your sobriety? I'm speaking now about OA. Yeah. Um, 
So I think what you're asking is God, right? You're aware. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he, uh, like, what is the spiritual aspect of my program? So, like, I guess I definitely define spirituality as as relating to God, you know, and higher power. And I'm like, I'm a, I'm, I'm an atheist. Like, I'm not currently an atheist, but like, I definitely lean that way. I had a Catholic school upbringing. It was not good. I didn't like. Actually, it was great, but I didn't like it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, so, like, had some real antagonism there. I just thought it, I thought it was for stupid people. I thought I thought believing in God was for stupid people, and that maybe I would be able to get this program if you hit me over the head with a brick a few times. You know that that would be necessary. And um, you know what happened is I worked the twelve steps of Overeaters, and uh, they're designed to put me in conscious contact with a God that is totally unoffensive to me in any way, shape, or form, and that's exactly what happened. I got introduced to a higher power that solves my problem on a daily basis and that I connect to on a daily basis that is in no way, shape, or form offensive to my thinking. In fact, it requires no thinking at all. My, my uh, first sponsor was a, a diehard atheist when I was first trying to get sober. Diehard atheist. And he knew what an atheist was. And uh, the man was like 14 years sober and he had a level of freedom that I that had totally eluded me, even though I knew he had the problem I had. And what that taught me, and what how I have been instructed by that, is it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I believe. None of that stuff matters. It doesn't matter what I feel. What matters is what I'm doing with my feelings. That's it. And like my experience is I, uh, I, I have that conscious contact with God when I'm focused on you and off of myself. Placing your problems ahead of my own. Thank you so much. Um, are there, in terms of growing up, um, are there places in your life and activities where you feel you still throw temper tantrums? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me think about that for a minute. I mean, what was So, do I still throw temper tantrums at times? I mean, like, I'm still a super emotional guy. To be totally honest with you, like, emotional sobriety has been slow coming. And I can still follow, like, man, whenever, like, I get, especially when it deals with finance or romance, like, I will come excited and I will actually have hallucinations. I've come to realize that. I have full-blown hallucinations, long-term hallucinations, where I think things are happening and my sponsor says, I don't see it. Which one is more likely to be right? The person who sees something or the person who doesn't see something? Almost always the person who doesn't see something is correct. The other one's hallucinating. And that's what I do, you know? And so, like, I will get under these conditions that, oh, the tragedy's going on, and I will, like, I have definitely acted out as a of that. I am by no means perfect. Um, I, have, I have done harm, as I, as I said. Like, I had a part in that relationship. And I definitely was throwing temper tantrums there. Um, they're not the same as they were before. Um, I literally was throwing temper tantrums when I first came around. I was actually like a child. Um, nowadays, it's sort of like I get upset, I get flustered. Somebody doesn't do something that I, I want and I think I need they, them to do. And uh, I run it by my sponsor, I inventory it, and sooner or later it gets resolved. So. I didn't know when to call your OA sponsor or your AA sponsor. Um, AA sponsor is sort of uh, is sort of like highbrow stuff. It's uh, 
I'm sponsored by Clancy. I don't know if anybody knows who that is, but it's like um, it's uh, it's just like he's sort of like I come to him with big problems. You know what I mean? The real big problems. I also come to my OA sponsor with real big problems, and I find that like I don't really have most of the time they're exactly the same advice, and uh, you know they both give me great direction, and uh, you know I just. I, I kind of gut instinct it. Like, this is where, this is something I should be. I try to run things by both of them just so that people are, they know what's going on with me fully. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just want them to both know exactly what's going on. Although certain things are more pertinent to others. You know, like, oh, I'm not going to run my date problem, uh, like my eating dates problem with by my AA sponsor. Like, I know that. And, like, the small minutia, um, I run by my OA sponsor. I do. I run it by my OA sponsor because uh, he's just, to be honest with you, he's better at uh, he's better at the day-to-day stuff, um, whereas Clancy's a little bit better at uh, the high-level stuff. Thanks for the uh, minutia. I mean, for the share. <laughs> <laughs> so this relationship uh, question, uh, I've been divorced and I've been married now for a while, but I find that each relationship I go to um, I still have to deal with the same character defects, just with a different person. Yeah. So, which character defects are coming up for you that you'd like to hand over to a higher power so that maybe you don't have to go to another relationship and uh, deal with them now? Uh, there's a lot. So, I, uh, I, what character defects do I bring to relationships? General immaturity is the big one. <laughs> Childishness. Um, I uh, I am selfish and self-centered in the extreme, and I can I definitely have the capacity to hurt people in that regard, um, even in abstinence. And if I'm not like you know, if I'm not running things by you, um, you know, I'm like I'm I'm a cheater. Uh, I'm uh, I'm just fundamentally dishonest in a lot of ways, and a lot of times I don't know I'm being dishonest. Is that time's up? Oh, five minutes. Okay. Um, a lot of times I don't realize I'm being dishonest. I really feel like I'm a, I'm a pioneer in dishonesty um, because I've really I've come up with ways to be dishonest that are just incredible. I can be dishonest in my the way that I present myself to her. Like I I will present myself to a woman as if I want to date her and I don't want to date her. Like that's not what's going on. You know that I'm totally capable of that and that's dishonesty. I haven't actually lied, but I'm lying. Uh, I can lie with my actions and. Um, you know, these are the things that I deal with on a daily basis, and it's like none of them are bad enough for me to have binged yet. Um, and over time, they get better, and I, I'm sure because what happens is for what happens is that I experience constant conflict with people in my life as a result of my, my immaturity, and um, eventually that causes enough pain for me to want to change. So. What is this date problem and what are you doing to work on it? Oh, absolutely. Great question. What's my date problem and uh, what am I doing to work on it? So during this like whole seven-month debacle, I definitely leaned on sausage, cheese, and dates. And dates, I can get away with saying paleo because technically, you know, I mean, like technically. Uh, and dried fruit, too. Dried fruit. Those are big ones. Uh, actually, I, I, I just talked to my sponsor about this yesterday. So I had, I had recently I gained about maybe two or three percent body fat. I don't. I'm usually at about fourteen, about seventeen right now, which is heavier than I like to be. 
Um, again, not that big a deal, like really small stuff here. You know, but long term, I may have gained some significant weight from it because I was definitely using those foods to anesthetize. And what happened was, as soon as I cut those out, um, what I do when I cut out a food is I give myself permission to eat other stuff that in like maybe larger quantities like broccoli. Like nobody, I'm not, I'm not worried about my broccoli problem. <laughs> I, can, I, I can eat as much broccoli as I want. You know what I mean? Uh, and chicken, like chicken. I'm like, you know, that's not a problem. Um, but what I've been doing is leaning on hummus and like really, really leaning on hummus. I ate hummus this morning. Like really, you know? And, uh, but he's like, did you come here to solve your hummus problem? You know what I mean? Like, it's just not, it's, it's not that big a deal. Like, hummus is not going to get me to lose weight or gain weight or anything like that. So, I mean, I still like anesthetize with food sometimes. And it's not a perfect relationship by any means. Like, over time, sanity has been restored to my food. And the portions that I eat have, have definitely become sane. And I would say, like, my food as a whole, as a, you know, occasionally a little too much hummus, but... Like, as a whole, my food is, has become sane over time. I think we have time for one more. All right? How do you feel the physical aspect, the exercise, having been uh, exercise bulimic? Do you run that by a sponsor and sort of say, this is what I'm doing, or right. how do you decide goal weight, things like that? Absolutely. Um, so, the, the, the question is, uh, how do I deal with goal weight and how do I deal with exercise, have, being an exercise bulimic? So, I work out probably five or six times a week. I work out for 20 minutes to 25 minutes. I am in and out in a heartbeat. I lift heavy. I never do cardio. I do some HIIT training occasionally. Um, I, it's just very restrictive that way. And I find that to be fun. I find that kind of weightlifting to be fun and exciting. And I feel good afterwards. And it's meditative and it clears my head. Um, and that's what I do, and it works amazing. I don't, I don't go overboard with it ever. Um, sometimes I go underboard with it, sometimes, but you know, that's like big deal. Um, as long as I get back on the goal weight stuff, we've had a couple of conversations about that. I dropped down to three percent body fat in abstinence, and we decided that that was not uh, a good thing, and so we talked about gaining weight, and uh, that's where I've been at for a while, and now I'm just now three years later talking about maybe cutting back just a little bit. So we don't, I don't really weigh myself. I don't think weight is a good measurement for me. It doesn't tell me anything. Like, I've gained weight. Okay, is it muscle or is it fat? I have no idea. Or is it water, you know? For me, like a body fat percentage, like a BMI is, is and I do that pretty seldom because I can get obsessive. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, guys.